We introduced a brand new mission statement a few weeks ago. And have you memorized it yet? I've asked you every Sunday. I'm going to keep asking. Have you memorized it? It goes like this. We are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. It's on the screen, right? So you should be able to say it with me. Say it with me. We are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. And we introduced this new mission statement. It gives me like, it gives me handles on what I'm supposed to do as a follower of Jesus and what we're supposed to do as a church family. And then uh, we started describing more of who we are and these new core values that really describe their phrases that we've used for a long time, but they really describe who we are and not just what we do, which is our mission, but, but who we are and why we do it. And we started, we said, it's all about Jesus, that if we only had one core value, that would be it. Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. He's our senior pastor. That's why my title is lead pastor. Jesus is the senior pastor. Peter says he's the chief shepherd. We serve under him. It's his church. And then we, we, another core value is that God wrote it all down. Everything we need, loved ones, uh, to live a Christian life that's honoring to the Lord and, and what he wants us to know, he wrote a book. He wrote it all down for us. And we don't need to guess about what that is. And we don't need to make up our own stuff that's not written down here. Uh, the other one is that all people matter. No matter uh, your age, your stage of life, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, uh, no matter who you are, the color of your skin, it doesn't matter. All people matter because we all bear God's image. And we talked about that fact, that all people matter. And, and last week, we, we built on that one and said that all of us need friends. That part of the fact that we bear God's image is God is Trinity. He's in eternal loving relationship, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so one of the, the only way we can totally image God the way he designed us to is if we are in community, in friendship with other believers. Because that, that relational aspect is something you can't image on your own. Well, today we get to our fifth core value. And while our first four values all employ the word all, the last one has a none in it. No sacred cows. We said if we want to sum up that that these are what we're about, then how else do we sum it up? Well, no sacred cows. No sacred cows. Do, Do you know where this phrase comes from? I covered it with you a few weeks ago, but it's an idiom in American English. And it's based on the popular understanding of the elevated place of cows in Hindu culture and in Hinduism. And if you ever get to go to India and see those boys, one of the things that you'll almost, I almost guarantee that you will see is, uh, is these cows wandering the streets. Like imagine if you went downtown Syracuse, downtown Milford, Warsaw, wherever you're at, and traffic stops for a cow just to kind of wander across the street and you wait until it gets through. And then you can go. That's how it works. That's how it works. You, if you get to go to India, you, you'll slow down every now and then for a cow. It's, in, it's incredible. But the other thing that's curious is uh, that all throughout India, uh, the way that where this phrase comes from is that all throughout India, there's a lot of people who are, who are starving and who need food. And yet uh, there's a good steak dinner walking in front of them. Maybe not the greatest steak dinner, because I, I told you a few weeks ago, if you saw these cows, uh, you, you would get kicked out of 4-H if you showed one. They, they don't look very healthy. They don't look very good. But, but nonetheless, it, it's an opportunity for food, right? And no, we can't do that. That's sacred. And so people starve. And, and their cows are worshipped in Hinduism. 
And so that's where this phrase comes from. So essentially, to put a definition to it, a sacred cow then, in, as we use this idiom, the way we understand it and mean it in this value is it's any idea, any custom, any institution, or anything that's considered immune from question and criticism, often unreasonably so. It's something that's unreasonably left from criticism. It's exempted, and and it doesn't make sense. And we talked about the fact that in churches, there are all kinds of sacred cows. Uh, we've We've had plenty of them wander through our doors over the 30 years of our life as a church. So don't think I'm talking about other churches. I'm talking about all churches and, and sacred cows. I told you they moo, right? They moo, they make noise and they cause disruption. Well, look at some of these this morning. You know, we can't change that moo. We can't get rid of that program. Moo. And they, they just, they get noisy and loud and everybody kind of goes, Oh, what's, what's the big deal? What's this sacred cow that nobody wants to take out back and shoot and have a steak dinner? And they make the best steak dinners, by the way, a lot of times when you can eliminate them from your church. The problem is not actually the sacred cow itself. It's when that thing rules the mission. When that thing takes over and that thing is is what we make all our decisions by because, oh, we don't want to disrupt or kick the cow. (laughs) We don't want to. We don't want to upset the fruit basket, and, and and mission is determined by this thing. And it's like, well, hold on, that's that's not God. I thought Jesus was sacred. I thought he was the ruler of the church. Why, why don't we pay attention to what he says? And and everyone said, Amen. That's a great spot for an Amen. Amen. Let's pay attention to what Jesus says. Not worry about these sacred cows. See, what I want to show you this morning is a handful of sacred cows that we need to avoid. And I think many of them fit into these buckets. I'm going to give you three of them. We're going to hit three different passages of scripture together uh, to look at that because uh, God wrote it down. So you don't worry about my, my words. Let's, let's look at what God has to say, what Jesus says. But, but as, you, as you do these things, some things for you to consider is that Jesus is sovereign. We are not. That God's word is sacred. God wrote it all down. Our opinions are not. Uh, uh, reaching people. All people matter. That's our mission. Our agendas are not. And Jesus is first. He is first, loved ones. And uh, he's sacred. So, so everything else falls under his authority. And everything else uh, is in an open hand that we're le- willing to say, I let go of that because I love Jesus. See, remember I use this terminology a lot. Maybe you're new. You haven't seen this. And I talk about a closed hand and an open hand, a two-handed theology. And in my closed fist, I put everything that really matters. And if I let go of these things, I cease to be a Christian. If I let go of the fact that Jesus is sovereign, that Jesus is God, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. When I let go of that, guess what? I'm not a Christian. (laughs) It's not Christianity when I let go of those things. But there's other things that I have preferences on. But But I hold those in an open hand. Because I can let go of those and still hold tightly to these. And the problem, what sacred cows do, is sacred cows, they move from this side into the closed fist. And when they get in the closed fist and don't belong there, they moo. (laughs) And it becomes bad news for the church. So with that introduction in mind, let me pray. And then we're going to unpack three passages of scripture together. Father, thanks for Jesus. 
And uh, thank you that, that he is sovereign, that this is his church. It takes a lot of pressure off of me, a lot of pressure off of those who are in leadership to know Jesus, that you're the one in control, you're the one in charge, you're the one that we serve. Help us remember that. I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that, uh, that as I speak, um, that your words uh, would, would fill me, with, that you might even teach me as I teach, and uh, that uh, I thank you that you forgive me and that you're willing to use me even though I'm, I messed up, all because of Jesus' grace. I pray too against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He, he loves to take your word, twist it, turn us from uh, the gospel to, uh, to things that don't matter and cause division in the church. Jesus, that's not honoring to you. So help us to put aside our own preferences, our own agendas, and Jesus, keep you at the center and help us work hard to preserve that unity. It's gold. And uh, you might use it for great glory and, and great advancement of your kingdom here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's the first thing I want you to, to notice. First sacred cow to avoid. Here's the first one. Are you ready? The first one is uh, we must not love tradition more than we love Jesus and his word. The first sacred cow to avoid is loving tradition more than we love Jesus and his word. Let's look at, while you're writing that down, um, I'm going to start reading here from Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and uh, like they often do while he's teaching, and, uh, and challenge him. And so we start in verse 1 of chapter 7 of Mark. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Then in verse 3 and 4, Mark gives us a little parenthesis to explain what's going on. He says, uh, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. You know what Mark's saying? Mark's saying the Pharisees have this thing, uh, these rules He's cluing us in. They've got these rules like washing their hands that they, they just have always done. And when you ask them, well, why do you do it that way? They say, well, because we've always done it that way. That's the way you do it. That's the way we do it here. You wash your hands before you eat. And why do your disciples not wash their hands? And it's not so much they don't wash their hands, but they don't wash their hands like we wash our hands. They don't, they don't use the right soap. They don't use the right uh, scrub brush. They, they don't hold it under the water and have hot enough water to kill all the bacteria for a certain amount of time. I mean, the, the rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. Why do you guys do it that way? That's, what, that's the way we do it. How dare you question the way we do it? That's kind of what Mark is telling us. So look at verse 5. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him then. They asked Jesus, well, why, why do your disciples not wash their hands? And not just why did they not wash their hands, but look at what he says. According to the tradition of the elders. In other words, why don't they wash their hands the way we wash our hands? The way we were told to wash our hands. Instead, but they eat with defiled hands. Um, Jesus, I'm, see, look, Jesus, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to offend you, but this is the way we've always done it. And we've always washed our hands this way. And so I'm just asking, why don't they do it that way? Why not? Huh? Why not? You never see this in a church, do you? You know, maybe you, you come in and, uh, well, why are we doing it this way? Well, because we've always done it that way. We've always done it that way. 
um, yeah, but what if we could do it a different way? Yeah, but we've always done it this way. <laughs> and this is the way we do it here. Okay, is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with having your preference and having the way that you do it as a church. Nothing wrong with that. The problem, though, is when doing it that way, uh, as we're going to see what Jesus tells them, makes void the word of God and says, I'm going to worry about this more than I'm going to worry about honoring Jesus. That's when it becomes a problem. Um, You know, there's a story I've told very few people, but there's examples of this in our church. I've been here for, it'll be 14 years next spring. And in the first few months I was here, um, and those of you who were here at that time, you remember our, our lead pastor at the time left for a different, uh, left for another job, and our secretary got married, and she moved away, and I was the only one here. And I was I was a youth pastor at the time, and I was answering the phone, I was making the bulletins, I was doing all this stuff. And I remember this one day, I was back in the youth room, and the phone rang, and I answered the phone, and and somebody on the phone. Um, uh, I'm not going to give their name, and if you ask me, I'm not going to tell you who it is. They haven't, they're not part of our church, and uh, I don't have anything against them. But they said, um, hey, I wanted to talk to you, Josh, about some of the songs we sang last Sunday. Because I just, I'd taken over leading music at that time, too. That's how I got roped into doing this job, and nobody's ever let me give it up. And so they said, uh, you know, the music, I, I don't know if I like that music. Um, we've, never, we've never sang music like that before, um, and not with those instruments. And in fact... Uh, the times that we've tried to sing music that way with those instruments in the past, it just never worked, and those people are gone. So you, you might consider doing it a different way. It wasn't said quite that kindly, but that's, that was the gist of it. And I remember uh, after listening for about a half hour, hanging up the phone and going, so why did I take this job? Why did I move here to a place I know no one? Um, why is that such a big deal? Like, there was nothing about the words that we were singing that he had an issue with. There was an, it was just a, it was a preference. Is it wrong for him to have a preference? No. But it's wrong when we make those things superior to, to God's word and we make that ultimate. And it, it becomes non-negotiable. It becomes a sacred cow that's immune from criticism. See, that's what the Pharisees are saying here. This is the way we wash our hands. And you, you might want to tell your disciples to either get with the program or get out. Because this is the way we do it here. Again, churches, we've done this. This is the way we, we've always done it. Music, I mentioned. Here's some other ones. Service times. Well, we've always started at this time. And if we, if we start too much later, I'm going to miss lunch. And I'm going to... Or, or types of services. We've, we've always had a Sunday night service. How can we get rid of a Sunday night service? We've always had that. Or we've never had a Christmas Eve service. How can we do a Christmas Eve service? By the way, good opportunity, good plug. This year on Christmas Eve, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. We haven't had one in a number of years. It'll be at either 6 or 6.30 p.m. And uh, Christmas this year falls on a Sunday morning. And so what what we're going to do actually this year is we're going to move our Sunday morning service to Christmas Eve evening. And so we're going to take Sunday morning off, and you can spend that time with your family and worship with them. We'll even give you some resources that you can use to, uh, to celebrate Christmas together. Uh, if you really want to go to church on Christmas Day on that morning, there, there are other churches who have services. You're, you're encouraged, welcome to go there. But uh, I know we've never done that before, but we're not going to do it, okay? All right, we're going forward. Programming. We've, we've always had this program. Uh, Awana, Sunday school, etc. Some of these things I'm mentioning are, are some sacred cows that, that we've moved away from, that could have been sacred cows, but thankfully weren't. 
the service length, uh, missions, that's how we've always done missions, that's who we've always supported, leadership, that's how we've always chosen leaders, communion, that's how we've always done communion, we're going to celebrate communion here a little later this morning, uh, events, uh, that we've never done that event before, we've always done this event before, they, they become sacred cows, it's the way we've always done it, and tradition becomes paramount to loving Jesus and God's word. Now, with all of those things, and the list could keep, I could do the list all morning long. All of those things are, are any of those things wrong in and of themselves? My preference for a certain event, my preference for a certain type of music, my preference for a, cert, for, for a worship time, my preference for a program, are any of those wrong? No, they're not. They're not wrong. And in fact, when those were initiated, they were really strategic moves. Because we said, you know what, if we want to reach kids, we're going to have a wana. We're going to do it this way. And we're going to do it on Wednesday night because the school doesn't have stuff on Wednesday night. And the problem is things change over time, right? And what worked 20, 25, 30 years ago today, guess what? There, there is a lot of competition with the school on a Wednesday night. And is that the best way to do it? I don't know. And just culture in general has changed rapidly, especially even in the last five to ten years. And, and so... It's not wrong to have those preferences, but if we're going to continue to reach a changing culture with an unchanging gospel, then the gospel never changes, but our methods have to change. And we've got to be willing to say we're we're willing to do it a little bit differently to reach people who are now different than they were 30 years ago with an unchanging truth. Hear that, because sometimes when people hear, oh, we're going to change the way we do it, we're going to change the way we do this, they hear, oh, they're changing the message. No. We're contextualizing the message. We're making it make sense for this culture. That's why in India, they would like to have a hall of praise uh, for the church that meets in the orphanage because contextually in that culture, it makes sense to have a building to meet in. In other places, it may not make sense, but there it does. Now that's not compromise. Some people say when you contextualize, you compromise the gospel. No, we're not changing the truth of God's word. We hold on to that. It's, It's all about Jesus. God wrote it all down, but we're saying everything else is up is up for discussion. Everything else is up for discussion. The, the truth is, we're going to see in a second here that Paul, and when we get to our third passage, Paul is a master of contextualizing the gospel, of having it make sense to different people in different cultures. And he doesn't, he doesn't compromise. I'd never say the apostle Paul compromised on the gospel, but he's a master at contextualizing it. And the thing is that every church has contextualized the gospel. Every church on the face of the earth throughout time has contextualized the gospel to have it make sense in their culture. Now, some churches are still contextualized to the 1950s or 60s, but they've contextualized it. And if the 60s come back, they're going to be in great shape to reach the culture. But things seem to be moving forward to me in a different direction. And that's the truth about, this is a truth about sacred cows is that nobody chooses them. They just kind of wander in and show up. They start out as really good strategic things of how we want to do ministry and and how we want to honor the Lord. And, And they're really good strategic, good things. Hear that. But over time, as things change and some of those don't, all of a sudden, instead of when there we loved Jesus and we wanted to reach people, now we just love that thing. And we need to repent of that. And what we need to be careful of is some of the things that we're putting in place today that are new. Three, four, five years from now, we got to make sure that that thing didn't grow into a sacred cow that we can never change or do something different with. Does that make sense? 
The gospel stays the same, but methods change. And that's okay. See, when we begin to love our traditions and methods more than we love God, uh, we're in big trouble. And that's what the Pharisees are doing in this passage. They're loving their traditions more than they loved God. And in fact, they love their traditions so much that when Jesus shows up in the flesh, they missed him. Because their eyes were no longer on the Lord, but they were on their rules and regulations. Now, the Pharisees get a really bad rap. Because all of these rules, it it matched the same pattern with the Pharisees. All of their rules and regulations started out as really good things. Uh, See, a few hundred years before Jesus shows up on the scene, give you a little bit of church history here. uh, a, A guy by the name of Alexander the Great. You ever hear him? A Greek guy, he comes on the scene, he, he uh, conquers uh, most of the known world at that time in a pretty swift period of time as a young man uh, in his late 20s into his early 30s. And, and he, he causes the spread of Hellenism or of Greek culture. And uh, he dies uh, early death, but, but he has made his mark when he dies at a very young age. And that Greek culture then begins to permeate all of the other cultures of the lands that he had conquered, from, uh, from Greece to Iran, down into Egypt. All of these things, Hellenism is spreading and, and influencing culture in a big way. And what happens in Israel is that different groups of people begin to develop among the Jews with different responses to this influx of Hellenistic culture. And uh, here are some of the groups uh, one of the groups, you, you read about them in the Bible, they show up uh, anywhere from uh, 100 to 150 to a couple hundred years before Jesus shows up. And they're responding uh, in, in, with their religion. They're responding, figuring out how do we respond to this culture? Uh, the Sadducees, for example, they, they basically accept Hellenism as it is. And they welcome some aspects of Greco-Roman culture. And they cooperate with the Gentile rulers. And uh, they just say, we're going to make the best of a bad situation by just assimilating to it. We're just going to go with it. It's not that big a deal. I'm painting with a broad brush, but that's the Sadducees. There was a group called the the Essenes, the Qumran community, who said, I don't want anything to do with this Hellenistic culture. We're going to pull all the way back, and uh, we're going to isolate ourselves and live in a bubble. Again, I'm painting with a broad brush, but that's kind of what they did. They, they uh, withdrew from culture. Sadducees assimilated. The Quran, uh, the Qumran, excuse me, uh, Essenes uh, withdrew. The Zealots, guess what they did? No way, man. And they fought. And they battled culture. And they, mm, they went after it. And then there was this group called the Pharisees, who seemed to take a bit of a middle ground where they actually engaged the culture. And they said, we're going we're gonna to challenge you. We're going to live among you, but we're going to kind of put up these rules to keep us from becoming uh, like you. But, but we're here with you, and we want you to understand the truth. In essence, that was the start of the Pharisees. And these rules were good things to, to guard them from, from being corrupted by the culture and at the same time to engage culture. But fast forward a couple hundred years, when Jesus shows up, they began to love those those rules more than they loved God. And so when God puts on flesh and shows up in front of him, they don't recognize him. That's the danger of a sacred cow. We miss Jesus. We miss Jesus. And sacred cows cause us to become hypocrites. Because on the one hand, we say the gospel is important. Jesus is important. We want to make sure that we keep Jesus first. Yeah, that's important. But then we turn around and we say, actually, uh, the color of the carpet's more important to me than, than that. Or this issue is more important to me than that. 
and we mix with hypocrites. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says to the Pharisees here when, in the whole washing of hands. He says in verse 6, he says to them, uh, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? You say one thing, in other words, and then do another. As it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Here's the key line. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Isaiah predicted people would put their traditions and preferences ahead of Jesus. It's a hard one to predict, right? If I could make a prophecy, I think I could make that one and it'd probably come true that we'll put our preferences ahead of Jesus a lot of times. Jesus goes on. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Ouch. You ignore God and yet you hold on to your tradition. You know, there's the joke sometimes that, um, uh, boy, I don't know, Jesus could show up at our business meeting and that issue would never change in our church. <laughs> People kind of laugh about that because we hold on to something so tightly. But in this, in, the, in this case, Jesus shows up and challenges their tradition and they hold on to it. He goes on in verse 9, he says, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Jesus is saying, You've made a fine art of making your tradition the most important thing instead of me. And he gives an example. He says, For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Did you guys catch that one? You've heard the commandment, honor your father and mother, right? Did you know it's repeated the next chapter? And it says, If you don't honor your father and mother, you can be put to death by stoning. Mom and dad, you're welcome. You can use that later. I think it's Exodus 21, 7. But, but Jesus, Jesus goes on. In other words, honoring your father and mother is a big deal. And not just when you're a kid, but as long as your parents are living to honor them and care for them. But look what they say. Jesus says, but you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given, from, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. See, in, in, in Jewish law, basically, they, I think of my mom as a widow, right? So as a son, my responsibility is to do whatever I can to care for her. If she stumbles on hard times financially, uh, I need to figure out a way with my brothers to care for her, make sure she's okay. Um, I, two of my brothers are there right now cleaning up a mess in the basement for her because of tons of rain that came over the last couple of weeks in Iowa. And th- that's my responsibility. But what the Pharisees did is they had this thing called uh, Corbin, where you could declare your money Corbin. And what that meant is dedicated to God. And think of it, I, I was trying to think how to explain this. The best way might be to think of it as like a tax shelter. And they could declare it Corbin, and then no one could use that money or touch it except for them giving it to the temple. And so by declaring it Corbin, now you know what? Their parents don't have access to this money while their parents who are aging and getting elderly are in need. And they don't have to care for them. But then uh, from what I've read, it looks like potentially after their parents would die, then, oh, it's not Corbin anymore and I can use it however I want to use it. Hypocritical, right? And Mark goes on and says, or Jesus goes on and says this, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Loved ones, the first sacred cow we have to avoid is loving tradition the way we've always done it more than we love Jesus. And by the way, I was thinking about this week, this isn't just for us corporately as a church. This really is for us as individuals, right? 
I mean, you think of that and how you might apply it in your home. Uh, those of you who are married, uh, maybe you get married, you realize uh, the way my spouse's family did things is different than the way my family did them. But this is the way we've always done it. So this is the way we're going to do it. Maybe it would be wise to just go, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to hold that so tightly. And maybe we should figure out a way we should do it. And, and this permeates all of life, not just the church. Anyway, moving on. So don't love tradition more than you love Jesus. Here's another one. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 32. Don't follow people before Jesus. Don't follow people before Jesus. You're going to recognize this passage. And especially in, in light of sacred cows, this might even be the first one that comes to your mind. In Exodus chapter 32, the Israelites have, have uh, been rescued out of the hand of Pharaoh. Uh, they, they make it to Mount Sinai. And uh, if, if you read the description of Mount Sinai, it's, in, it's incredible the way the glory of the Lord descends on it in fire and in smoke and, and just incredible. And Moses goes up to meet with God. And, and God declares the Ten Commandments. He says it, if you would read it, in chapter 20, 19 and 20 of Exodus. Actually, all the people heard God give these commands. And uh, the first one is, you should have no other gods before me. Now imagine we're outside at the picnic some year, and uh, the heavens break open, and we hear God tell us something to do. The first one on the list, I think we'd probably at least remember the first one, right? Well, long story short, Moses is, is up on the mountain. He's there, it says, for 40 days. And the people uh, go, what happened to Moses? I don't think he's coming back. I think he probably died on the mountain. And if you would have, you look at the description of the mountain, what it might have looked like, we might have thought the same thing. Uh, Moses, he's not coming back. He did something wrong. He's toast, literally. He's, he's done. So when the people saw, verse, 31, verse 1 of chapter 32, and the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, to Moses' brother, who is the priest, and they said to him, Get up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. He never came down from the mountain, Aaron. Where, where is he? What happened to him? So Aaron said to them, he said, Well, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters. Bring them to me. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and they brought them to Aaron and he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. What's curious is I said sacred cows are a Hindu thing. They were also uh, an object of worship in Egypt as well as they left. So really they're kind of going back to what they had known in captivity. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt when Aaron saw this, now you read this, and I wonder, it says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. Is Aaron worshiping the golden calf? I think Aaron is trying, in some ways, Aaron gets a bad rap here too. I, I think, again, I hold this with an open hand. I, I think Aaron is just trying to take what they've done and make it okay. Because he builds an altar there, and he said, and Aaron made a proclamation, and he said, tomorrow shall be a feast. It doesn't say to the golden calf, but to Yahweh, the Lord. When it's all capital letters, to Yahweh. I think he's just kind of ignoring their sin. And so we're going to try to make this okay and worship the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You know, as I read this passage, I said that uh, the next sacred cow we have to, to guard ourselves against is following people rather than Jesus. You have to ask, when, when the people came out of Egypt, 
And they're rescued from the hand of Pharaoh. They see the Red Sea part in front of them and close behind them. They see a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. They hear God's voice speak the Ten Commandments that you should have no other gods. I wonder, who were they really following this whole time? Were they following God? Or were they just following a man in Moses? I think this passage seems to point to the fact that really they were just following this man, Moses, not necessarily the Lord. They, they just followed him, kind of, uh, well, where is he? We can't follow, we, now we need, we need a God. We need something to worship. I, I tend to think they were following Moses, many of them, and not the Lord God. They didn't put their faith and trust in God. They were putting their faith and trust in Moses. And once he disappeared, they quickly lost faith. They quickly lost faith. Friends, I could say a lot about this passage, but let me just say this. A few things. We need to keep in mind that that when we follow the Lord together as a church, we're following Jesus. It it drives me crazy sometimes. Somebody will, and they don't, they don't mean it in a bad way, but they'll talk to me and say, you know, yeah, your church, Josh, you know, your church. And it's like, that's really not my church. It's not, and I really hope that you aren't following me. I mean, hopefully I I can set an example for you to follow, but if you're only following me, you're going to be disappointed in in the times you probably already have been because I'm a sinful man. I've messed up. I'm going to mess up. But Jesus is our senior pastor. Jesus is the one we must follow, and we got to follow him above, above any other people. Because if we don't, we're going to be tempted to to commit idolatry just like the Israelites did in the wilderness here and set up things to worship that aren't right. See, Jesus is our senior pastor. We need to follow him. The the other thing we ought to avoid in not not just following only one person, but we've got to make sure we don't follow the majority if the majority is wrong. Your parents ever tell you, well, if everyone told you, if everyone was jumping off a cliff, would you follow them? Ever hear that one? Boy, it's, it's foolish for us just to follow the majority, whether it's in our church or in our culture, if, if the majority is wrong. We need to test it according to God's word. God wrote it all down for us. It's all about Jesus. He wrote it all down. The other, the other one we got to avoid is the preferences of a vocal minority. Can't be listened to and hold everyone else hostage. You know, it's, it's funny to me how... Um, it's always the same people who bring complaints. And here are their names. Some of you are getting nervous, but don't worry. One of them is named some people. You ever hear them? I hear about some people all the time. I have yet to meet him or her. But that's some people, man, they've got a lot of complaints. Because some people are saying we shouldn't do it this way. And some people are saying we should do it that way. And then I hear, well, some people, they said to do it this way. But then they also, some people also said to do it this way. So some people seems to be a little bit bipolar. Who is this some people? The other one is named uh, they. They always say this. I've, I, don't, I don't know. I've, have you met they? I, I looked. I didn't see a name tag for they out there this morning. But they has a lot of complaints too. Because they, they think this, and they've got a lot of, a lot of ideas. I'm sure they're good ideas, um, but they seem to be changing, and it's always they. They only have one name. They're like Madonna. They just they. And then the other one is a couple people. I think A might be an initial. A, that, dot, couple people. 
Don't know their first name. A couple people. They, a couple people always have uh, something that they're not happy about. You know, some people, they, a couple people, they filed a lot of complaints in the last 30 years of our church. Let's not, let's not throw it off and find, usually you find out when you really go after somebody like an abort meeting, well, who is some people? Who is they? Oh, it's, it's me. And it's my, it's what I think. But I didn't really want to say it. I love ones, you got to be careful. Vocal minority doesn't take everyone else hostage because then that becomes a sacred cow and we're following people instead of Jesus. Before we move on to this next passage, I just got to show you um, God's response to the Israelites and their golden calf. And I think how he responds to our sacred cows when we worship them instead of Jesus and follow people instead of Jesus. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. That could describe me many days. Stiff-necked man. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you, Moses. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of this land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people, Lord. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they will inherit it forever. And so the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken, bringing on his people. Then Moses turned, went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. But as he said, as, let's see, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it's, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of a cry of defeat, but that's the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. Look what he does. He took the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and he ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. So they end up drinking and digesting what they had worshiped. In my mind, showing its value before God. This gold they had given to create the calf was now being digested and passed. And if they ever wanted to have that gold again, they would have to dig through their feces to get it. I think that's a pretty vivid picture of when we worship anything other than Jesus and follow anyone other than Jesus. It's like digging in the toilet for gold. Here's the last one. First one, um, we don't want to hold our tradition, love our tradition more than Jesus. We don't want to follow people in front of Jesus. And third, we, we don't want to choose our preferences over Jesus' mission. Earlier, I mentioned that Paul was a master of contextualizing the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 9, we see his strategy in his heart. And I would commend this to us as well. Look at what Paul writes. I'm going to read to you actually on the screen. It's in the New Living Translation. I think it's just a little bit easier to understand. He writes this. He goes, even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to bring, all peop- to bring many to, to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, Paul writes, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. 
When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Paul is saying, when, when I go and witness to Jewish people, I, I live like a Jewish man. I follow the law. I follow the customs. I do all of those things so that in me they might not see uh, someone they would disagree with, but somebody who is different than them that loves the Lord Jesus so that they too might love the Lord Jesus. I become like them in a way that's not sinful so that they might meet Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 21, when I'm with Gentiles who don't follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I don't ignore the law of God. He says, I don't do anything that's sinful. I obey the law of Christ. So when I'm with the Gentiles, I I live like them so that they could meet Jesus. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. He goes, I try to find common ground with everyone doing everything I can to save some. Paul was contextualizing the gospel, depending on the city and the town and the community he was in. I do everything to spread the good news and so share in its blessings. See, Paul was saying, um, all of these things in my open hand, I let them go. And I hold on to the gospel because I want people to believe this. I want them to believe this. This is what really matters. Now, he let go of his preferences to do this. I already asked you, you know, some of those other things, are they wrong that we hold those things or have those methods? No. And then the same thing, is it wrong for you to have personal preferences, like for music, uh, for service times, for, for any, is it wrong for you to have preferences? No. In fact, I would argue it's a good thing. And it's part of how God made you. It's okay to have preferences. It's, it's a good thing to have preferences. The problem is when your preference becomes an idol, when you hold them to the extent that they get worshiped instead of Jesus. And I don't want to negate the emotion that comes with letting go of preferences. Because I think one thing we miss in this passage when we look at it, we champion Paul. We say, yeah, look at Paul, man. He's just wanting to give up everything. You know what? I think it was probably pretty painful for Paul in some situations to give up uh, what he had grown up with, some of his Jewish traditions, some of, some of those things that he knew his entire life to live among the Gentiles. I don't have evidence of that, but, but I'm just guessing it had to be. He had learned under some of the, the most renowned Jewish rabbis there were. He, he was so zealous uh, for Judaism, even to murder Christians. Do you think it was hard for him to give some of those things up to go reach people who all of his life he had learned were just vile and messed up and different and I don't want to do it that way? Do you think that was hard for him to go like this? I'm telling you, I I have a feeling when we get to meet Paul one day that he's going to say that was hard to let go of my preference. Because my preference would be that we, uh, we, we keep the Jewish dietary laws. My preference would be that Uh, We worship uh, at this time. My preference would be, that was hard for me to let go of. But he did it. And I bring that up because sacred cows, they start as good things. And they become preferences, though, that can turn into idols if we're not careful. And I don't want to overlook the fact that sometimes letting go of some of those things is really hard. And I don't want to negate the fact that there's emotion in letting go of those things. Because there is. And I have a feeling Paul experienced that. And I bring that up because in the next few weeks, 
uh, we're going to be, um, we're just about got some things wrapped up to share with you as far as, and many of you have had a part in this over the last year and a half, um, uh, some things for our church in terms of the design of it and uh, potential renovation and additions. And we, we want to tell that story of why and why we landed on these things and, and why we're going to do it this way. And I'm just going to say it up front as, as we present some of these things for some, um, some of these changes may be hard because it's going to be different than what we have today. And it's going to be different than it's always been. And I don't want to overlook that and say that, well, you're wrong for thinking because you're not. But I would challenge you to say, okay, that's my preference, but I understand things change and we want to reach more people. And we want to make sure that what was done 30 years ago that enabled us to be here today, will, that what we do today enables our church to continue growing 30 years from now. So just be prepared for that. It's going to be exciting, but some of it, for some of us, could be hard. Amen? But look at it through a right lens. And, and I don't want to negate that. I, I could keep rambling here for a long time, but just know I want to be sensitive to that. But at the same time, um, there's, there's reason behind it, and we'll tell all those stories. Okay? But as we go forward as a church... We want to have no sacred cows. That includes the pastor's preferences. Nothing other than Jesus and his word is off the table for discussion. That, that we want to, we're sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus. And so if by letting go of this or changing this, more people can be invited, more people can be loved, more people can follow Jesus with us, let's do it. Amen? And uh, let me pray. We'll sing and we'll call it a morning. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him and uh, your goodness to us in him. Um, Father, I, I pray uh, that you would help us to, to maintain the unity you've given us to, uh, uh, to not um, make things sacred that aren't, to not worship things uh, that don't deserve uh, a place of worship, but Jesus, to keep you and your word at the center of everything. Thanks for your grace to us. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.